0: Thank you for tuning in to The Occlusal Table. I'm one of your hosts, Taylor Jackson. And it's your girl, Jasmine Clyde.
1: And the one and only Bradley Way.
0: And today, we have the pleasure of having dentists on our panel to discuss their experiences, their journey to their specialty, and taking a deeper look into residency. Let's get started. <music>
1: Our first dentist is Dr. Taylor Addison, who is currently a PGY2 resident at UCLA Pediatric Dentistry. She is originally from New Orleans, Louisiana and attended LSU for undergrad. At the age of 25, she became the first doctor in her family and earned her doctorate of dental surgery from Meharry Medical College. After exploring all fields of dentistry and completing a mission trip in Jamaica, she found her current passion and confirmed her calling to pediatric dentistry.
0: And next, we have Dr. Sharice Caswell, who is a graduate of the University of Louisville School of Dentistry and Pediatric Residency Program. She has been in the field for over 15 years, and she is the proud owner of Little Peaches Pediatric Dentistry. In her spare time, she loves to travel with her husband and three children. So let's give it up for our guest. Woo! <laughs>
1: Oh wow, wow, what's it called? Let's, let's start it off right. Dr. Addison, Dr. Caswell, why Peds?
2: Oh wow. Um I'll I'll let you go first, Dr. Caswell.
3: <laughs> Please, Taylor, you go first. You're in residency. I wanna okay. hear this girl. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: So I guess I okay, I will start just kind of explaining myself. I'm more of like a like I used to focus on one thing. So in dental school, I knew that I had more of like the specialist type of personality. I didn't want to do everything. Like I want to be really good at one thing. And so um, I felt like First year and second year I kind of explored the different um, disciplines that we were learning and then I was like eh. you know I feel like in dental school everyone is like on the ortho train so I was like okay let me see what this is mm. didn't really feel like it was for me um, but then I went on a mission trip so this is my second year going into third year of dental school and I um, it was a mission trip in Jamaica. No one really wanted to see the kids, and I was like, "Well, I'll do it." Like, and it just, it just clicked. It just worked, and I just felt like, I don't know um, if anyone is like spiritual or not, but like you know, when you feel like you're supposed to be doing something, and you're doing something right, so I just continued to go with that feeling, and you know, it. Now I'm here, so um, that's pretty much why Peds for me.
3: <laughs> Very nice. Well, for myself, um, I always wanted to be a pediatrician since I was about seven years old. And then when I decided to go to dental school, the thought of being a pediatric dentist really didn't cross my mind because I was just ready to be done with school. I'm like, let me just do these four years and be out of (laughs) here. But once I got into clinicals my junior year, the adults were difficult. Like, I was struggling with those adults. They were petrified. And no matter what I said, I couldn't get them to be rational about getting this treatment done. And so once I started going through my rotations in dental school and being placed in the pediatric clinic, I was like, oh, no, I'm going to be up here with the kids <laughs> because I could get them to cooperate I could convince them that it was going to be okay, and they were always so good. They were they were always the best patients, and I just thought about it one day, like, Lord, okay, I didn't go to medical school to be a pediatrician. This might be it, to be a pediatric dentist, and so from there, I would always take everybody's rotation because, like Dr. Addison said, nobody wanted to do pediatrics. Everybody wanted to just get their requirements done and be out of there. So I would take everybody's rotation in my class and go to the pediatric clinic for them. And I absolutely loved it. And then I realized it really clicked like, okay, the adults are terrible because they had a horrible experience as a child. If I can influence these kids and get them to recognize how important oral health is and want to go to the dentist, then they'll be great patients as adults and they won't be afraid. And so that's kind of how I got into pediatrics and I've loved it ever since.
2: <laughs> that's definitely
1: a great pearl, Dr. Caswell, um, getting to a patient, into a patient's head uh, before they turn into adulthood. Um, I guess that can sway their mind of, Ooh, this dentist is actually fun. This is great. And I know pediatric dentistry is one of the most popular specialties of interest in our class right now, if not the most popular. Um, So I know the blueprint would love to hear (laughs) what a residency is like and what the process is like to get there.
2: So um, residency, I feel like, the well, it's kind of hard because of COVID now, but I feel like the best thing to get an idea of what residency is is to do an externship. So, um, but now they're virtual externships and you can kind of get a taste, but it's t- I feel like it's totally different from dental school. It's like you are the doctor now, you have to make the decisions, it's on you to know what to do in certain situations, but. I also remind myself if I knew everything about pediatric dentistry it would be no need to be in a residency program Um, so that kind of keeps me from being too hard on myself about uh, just the different struggles you'll deal with in residency um so oh this can be like a really (laughs) long-winded answer what (laughs) residency is like um so right now Um, Of course, you hear about being on call. So you do take call. It just kind of depends on um, how big the program is. So the more residents mean, okay, the call shouldn't be as strenuous because it's more residents to split the call schedule among. Um, You'll do different rotations in the hospital that the program is affiliated with. Um, depending on if it's like a hospital base or a university base or hybrid type program, um, you'll be taking some lectures or seminars, but I would say in residency, any type of like lecture that we have, it's more of a discussion. It's more of sharing ideas and talking things through to get you to really understand the concepts and everything to kind of sink in. Um, what else, as far as residency, Ooh, I'm like trying not to make it too uh, long winded, but as far as preparing to get there, um, for me, what I did was going into my uh, fourth year of dental school that spring semester, that was like my major prep time as far as like getting my application together asking for um letters of recommendation getting my cv so that way um, once the application cycle opened you have everything ready to input into the system um, and then as far as preparing for those who are like maybe first years second years third years so i would just say just try to shadow there's so many um pediatric dentists out there I feel like Meharry has a great network even outside of Meharry there are other pediatric dentists that may look like you or may have similar um, background as you to go ahead and shadow and just to be in the field and get that experience um so yeah I hope did I answer all the the parts of the question okay um yeah (laughs)
3: Um, My answer would be very similar to Dr. Addison's gosh, I feel like I've been out of school forever. It's it's turning into a blur. (laughs) Um, First of all, my experience with going to residency was a little different than how most people's experience would be. So first thing, when I graduated from dental school, I did not go straight to residency. So a lot of people may choose that route. They may not want to go straight into residency, especially if they don't really know what they want to do. Even though I knew I wanted to do peds, um, I decided to work first. And so what I did was I actually worked at a pediatric clinic um, as a GP Um, But I only worked on children, of course. And that's where I got the bulk of my experience. And that's when I realized, okay, this is something I really want to do. Um, But they really didn't do a lot of intensive pediatric work, such as sedations uh, and things like that. More things with behavior management, which I felt like was very important. So that's when I was really like, okay, yeah, I need to go to residency so I can get more experience with a protocol and behavior management to make these kids comfortable. So I just really happened to get lucky because the university that I graduated from, which is the University of Louisville, they uh, had just started a brand new pediatric program. They had had one 20 years prior, but they started a brand new program. And so when they started the program, one of my mentors who worked at the school called me and said, "You need to apply." You know, I know you want to do pediatrics, come on and apply. And they weren't actually doing match or anything at the time, which I know. And Dr. Edison, you might want to tell them a little more about that whole process because I really don't know much about it. And it always seemed kind of weird to me (laughs) how the match worked Um, and I didn't go through match. So my experience is a little different from what most people will have. Um, Because once I did apply to the University of Louisville, there were actually only four of us who applied because many people didn't know about the program and they were only accepting three. So when I went in for my interview, the director pretty much told us, look, if there's one of you who knows for sure you don't want to do it, the other three of you, you're in. (laughs) So that was kind of how it worked out. So... Dr. Addison might want to touch on that a little bit because that process did seem a little tricky to me because after my first year, they did start doing match and we were interviewing residents. And I kind of got the hang of the match a little bit, but at the same time, I'm like, this is kind of weird because if the... Applicant picks you, but you don't pick them, you're not going to get in, or if you're not top three, I just didn't get it. (laughs) So Dr. Addison, if you would touch on that process a little bit.
2: Yes, of course. So um, the match process, it is a little bit tricky. Um, but now kind of being on the other side of things and um, seeing I always tell anybody who asks me for advice or opinion, match works in your favor as the applicant. So once you go on to all of your interviews, um, you only can rank the schools that you have had an interview with. So let's say I have five schools and I rank them one, two, three, four, five. All of the other programs, they also have a list and they rank uh, applicants, right? So what happens is if you are, let's say, for instance, the program that I'm in, we have seven spots. So if you are in that one through seven And you've ranked that school number one, you'll automatically be matched to your number one spot. But what happens is with the algorithm, once a school or once you don't want to go to a school that's ranked you, things start to shift down. So let's say the school that has seven spots, um, they're all of their seven don't want to go there. So then it'll shift down to the people that rank ranked them 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. So like I said, it definitely works in your favor. Um, but the thing with match, it is an obligation a uh, contract that you sign. So you have to go to the school that you match. Um, and you can double check me on this, but I know you have to go. And if you don't go, you have to sit out for a year. You can't just apply again. It's like, "Mm, I didn't really want to go to that school, so I'm going to just not go. So they make you sit out the whole process a year. Um, So, But like I said, match works in your favor. When you rank schools, rank the schools that you like, will be okay with going because like I said you don't want to be in that situation where I just want to get into a program and you rank a school that you didn't have a good vibe with you didn't really like what the program had to offer so um, really doing your research throughout this entire process is important because like I said you may not know the binding of the contract that you're signing with match so research read and just really make sure that you, uh, you know, know what you're getting yourself into, even when you're like researching the programs and knowing what they have to offer. Um, because I think that a lot of the programs on paper look very similar because of like CODA requirements that have to be followed. But um, there are still different little things that uh, some programs have more of or less of. So um, rank for you, rank, rank for you as the individual and what you like and what's important to you.
0: Absolutely. And thank you for elaborating more on that process and everything. Um, definitely gives us something to consider um, the moment that we are in that application process and going through past match and everything. Um, and then even with regards to the business side um, of things post-residency, um, would you suggest working for a DSO or private practice or associateships? Um, Just as Dr. Caswell uh, elaborated before, she worked as a GP um, at first and didn't go straight into residency. And Dr. Addison, you have about six months left (laughs) of uh, residency. So what are your plans after that? What are both of uh, your thoughts um, on
2: what would be the
0: next step uh, post-residency?
2: Honestly, I'm looking to Dr. Caswell to see what her response is, because like you said, I do have a couple more months left. I'm trying to figure out the next step. Um, So I'm still working out, you know, some of those kinks, but I'll kind of pass it to Dr. Caswell, if that's okay.
3: (laughs) Um, For me. I felt like, and look, I'm just learning what a DSO is. I didn't know what that was. Thanks, Taylor. <laughs> oh, no I, actually, problem. <laughs> I actually do. We just didn't call it DSO when I graduated. We just called it corporate. We didn't. We didn't know it had a fancy term to it. So I did work for a corporation, um, and I honestly feel like that's a good way to start because it helps you build up your speed. You learn more. Um, because I just feel like when you're in residency, you're not learning all of the tricks to the trade. Um, and you can learn from so many other doctors cause you might not feel confident about certain procedures or protocols. And that's a good time to look to your colleagues and say, Hey, what do you think about this? Or look at this kid. And you know, what do you think about this situation? Or I've never seen this before. You know what I mean? I just feel like it helps give you confidence in your skills. So you can increase your speed, get confidence with the kids, and it's a good way to learn how to run your own business because I worked for two corporations. I worked for the one immediately after dental school, and then I went back to residency. I mean, and then I went to residency, and when I graduated, I went back to another corporation as a pediatric dentist. And even though a lot of people are like, ooh, it's, it's too many kids, it's too much, I like fast pace, so it worked out for me. And I already knew that I wanted to be a private practitioner. And so that was a good way for me to learn some of the ins and outs of the business. You still don't know until you really get in there. But it helped me recognize, uh, if I had my own practice, I probably wouldn't do that. Or I would do things differently here. You know, I just feel like it really helps you get your bearings to be ready for your career. If you just jump into something solo, it can be very overwhelming because it's a lot of work. Um, And even if you do an associateship, that's great too, doing an associateship with another individual. Um, You just have to find the right person because it's like a marriage. (laughs) If you don't marry the right person in that business, you're going to be in trouble. So that's why I think if you do the DSO, it's a easier way to work your way in there. And then when you're ready to get out, it's an easier transition to get out to if you decide you want to go into private practice. And that's just coming from my own personal experience. I I wouldn't take it back and do anything differently. I feel like I did it the right way. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that, Dr. Caswell.
2: How many years did you work for the DSO after residency
3: before going on your own? I actually only worked there for one year um, because I already knew I wanted to do private practice and my husband and I had already discussed it. So if I had to go back, I would do it the same way. But I tell you, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have jumped out there on faith and done it. I would probably had worked there five more years because <laughs> you just get used to the consistency of getting a paycheck. Uh, you get benefits, you get to go home and not worry about staff. Or I mean, you you know, you just live in your life. But I, I'm glad and grateful that we did it the way that we did it. It worked out. But if you don't have anybody there to support you and help you, there's nothing wrong with staying at that DSO so longer, you know. And I actually like the one that I worked at. A lot of people, like I said, they're like, oh, it's too much, I can't, you know. And people hop from practice to practice. But I actually enjoyed the place that I worked and I could have seen myself working there longer if I needed to, but definitely don't get, you know, caught up in the benefits and the money because it looks good sometimes. And then you're in there like, Oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? And you don't want to do anything to jeopardize your license because that's your license and your livelihood. And at the end of the day, it's on you. They don't care what the managers and the corporate people told you. They're going to say, no, no, Dr. Addison this is <laughs> you're the doctor you knew better you know what I mean but um but it, it was a good experience for me so I like I said I recommend it it really helps you learn more mm-hmm I'm
2: sorry. I still have more questions. I know this is not my podcast, but I am looking <laughs> to- train. Oh, it's all
0: right. It's all right. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm sure, you know, we're definitely going to need all of these answers. Absolutely.
2: So. We're learning. We're learning right.
0: too.
2: <laughs> I just want to just get more practice as well. So what did that transition look like for you? And then how did you get business savvy to go on your own? Because that's something that I do want to have. I do want to have my own practice. Um, and I want to, um, But I'm very like, you know, I'm a planner. I want to make sure I, you know, get all the resources, do my research. So how did you transition and um, how did you or what resources did you tap into to get the knowledge on having your own private practice?
3: That's a very good question. So the first thing I have to give a shout out to the practice I worked for because they were so Helpful as well. They weren't trying to hold me back or hold a grudge. They knew straight up that I wanted to go into private practice, and and they were like, "That's cool. You know, when you open up, you can still moonlight here until you're busy. You know, whatever you want to do." And so it worked out really well. So you have to really choose the right place if you're going to do that, so you can have an easy transition and still have some cash flow coming in. <laughs> Cause you're not gonna have any money when you open your own practice, you know? Um <laughs> Bradley is cracking me up. <laughs> oh I know I could, I could just feel the the bank just oh it's calling me. Yeah, he's cracking me up. But yeah, that is true. Um, so that, that was the first thing. It was an easy transition as far as that goes. Um, also, I really reached out to a lot of different people to try to help and give us as much information as possible because though my husband was helping me and setting everything up. You don't want to reinvent the wheel. You know, if you can take some advice from some other people, then do that. So it was a company here in Atlanta called Atlanta Dental, first of all, that helps you find a location, helps you with geographics and things like that, and helps you with your whole layout of your office. They do all of this for free for you. So that really helped that they were doing that. And then... I connected with some other graduates who went to the same school that I had gone to um, who also, one of my colleagues, her husband had helped her open her office too. So her husband and my husband connected and then she and I connected and then they gave us ideas, told us things to do. Cause it really is a learning process and you really are going to need advice from other people to help you pull it together. Um, and we really just did that. And my husband did a lot of research on his own as well. Um, And it was mostly just talking to people. You got to get out there and just talk to people and don't be afraid to ask questions. Uh, And so that's what really, really helped us to proceed with moving forward to open the practice. But Atlanta Dental, they were great. If you can find a dental company that helps you. So, you know, you just have to do a lot of research. We were just blessed to be in the right at the right place at the right time, really, because I didn't know coming to Georgia that we would have a company like Atlanta Dental that would help you do that. And they are now pretty much nationwide, I believe. At first, they were kind of situated just in the southern region of the country. But I think they've expanded out west so they don't just do this sort Southern region. I think at first they were just Georgia, Tennessee, and maybe North Carolina. But now I think they've kind of branched out. So you never know if you're, where you may be looking to go, they may be able to help you. Mm-hmm.
2: Thank you so much. I
3: appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome.
1: And that was great, great discussion. Um, those are really, um, my. that was gonna be my next question, really. Um, what business or financial advice would you give Um, would you have given your younger self? And I think it's important because we, uh, they say we're living off of monopoly money. You know, we're living off the government's money right now. And it's really hard to gauge what it'll be like after dental school when we hit the real world. So that was just great advice. So I guess um, we can dive in that a little more and um, what advice would you give your younger self? Would you have saved during this time? What would you all have
3: done? Uh, well, saving is not really something you can do right now, (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately, but this is such a great question. It's so funny because my husband and I were just talking about this earlier this week. What, you know, some things that I wish I hadn't have done. The first thing was all these loans. Oh my gosh. When I think about it, I'm like, oh, I could have been more frugal. I should have been more frugal. I should have sent some of that money back. I shouldn't have done that, you know, Um, because you do pay on those loans for a while. I mean, I'm still paying on my loans and uh, it's not fun. (laughs) And I mean, it all works out in the end, but it's just the struggle. You know, when they say the marathon continues, it really does continue for a long time. So I would pull back on those loans as much as I could and try to be a little more economical that way while I'm in school and be super frugal. Um, saving, uh, like I said, you can't really do a lot of that at this point. Um, And then for residents, what I would recommend, I know this was something I did um, when I was looking at residency, I was looking definitely for residencies that paid a stipend. I was like, I'm not trying to pay more tuition. I need a stipend, please. (laughs) So if you're looking for a residency, you want to look for one that's going to pay you something so that you don't have to take out so much money. So that's another thing you want to do. You don't want to pay a lot to go to residency. And then as far as once you do decide to open your own practice or what have you, be super, super, super frugal on your equipment too. For instance, myself, I mean, I'll be the first to admit it. I thought I had to have ADEC everything. Come down on your price. Don't uh, uh, you get? You really have to be economical, you know. But it was all I knew. You know, when I went to school, all of the equipment was ADEC. So I'm like, oh yeah, this I want ADEC this and that, and I want all this nice stuff. No, don't do that. It can be nice, but it can be economical. Okay, so definitely be economical with starting your business. You don't want to get this huge business loan. And so you're paying on your business loan. You're paying on your loans from school. It's a lot to think about because it does really add up. So just be really, really frugal on your purchases and pull back on that loan money.
2: <laughs> I second that pulling back on the loan money. Um, it was some advice that my dad gave me when I was in dental school. So. Um, I each like year I didn't take the full amount I would try to create a budget and try to plan out everything Um, and you know it was tight some semesters it was really tight my budget but I think um, at this age or this stage of um, your career as far as like being in dental school and residency really getting to a place where you can stick to a budget, I feel like for me is going to pay off in the long run. Um, also something that I wish I would have known or done was in my last year of dental school. Like I didn't file taxes. I didn't really, that wasn't on my mind. I didn't think about that at all. Um, but at least for your last year, um, file a tax return, because once um, your loans are kicked out of deferment, because like if your program is paying you, because I'm at a pay program, um, my loans can only go in forbearance. They can't be deferred. So if they're in forbearance, the interest is constantly accruing and I'm not paying anything on it. So um, what I wish I would have done was Filed a tax return my last year of dental school. So that way, when I went to um, get my uh, my pretty much I'm not the exact like, the exact words to explain it, but to get set up for my loan payments. Um the first year will be a payment of zero and so those count as a number of payments but you don't have to pay anything and so after a certain amount of payments um those can like apply to like loan forgiveness or whatever and things like that but it just kind of messed me up that i didn't um file a tax return in dental school even though i wasn't really making any money so um So, yeah. But budgeting, yes. Budget. Like, get on that budget. I'm still trying. You know, I'm still, you know, I don't have it all together yet, but... (laughs) I'm trying to really stick to the budget that I create Um, because like the money that I get in residency, like for me, I've never like I finished dental school at 25. I've never had a real job. So I'm like, oh, I'm balling. Like, okay, paycheck from residency. And I know this is a fourth of what I'll be making once I leave residency. So, um I'm not sure who said it, but it's like if you can't you know manage a thousand dollars then you won't be able to manage a hundred thousand or a million so um just really kind of getting that fundamental of like budgeting, I'm hoping it helps me in the long run. <laughs> I'm not there yet, but I'm on my way. <laughs>
0: And I definitely appreciate that um, that piece of financial advice, because uh, just like what, you know, we always talk about, uh, you know, in class and everything, like it does feel like monopoly money um, right now. Uh, but in actuality, this is, it's real. And we need to make sure we put in good practices now and um, start good habits now so that we can, it can pay off uh, in the future. Um, So then to transition from business and to go into um, the clinical side of things, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of different types of misconceptions um, that are asked by parents uh, that, you know, pediatric dentists have to face on the daily, you know, conspiracy of giving children vaccines or fluoride being poisonous. Um, What other type of questions um have you been asked uh surrounding these myths and what response would you give to parents in order to debunk these theories um surrounding the topics
3: you know i really i don't get parents who so much ask me about these things um they tell me about these things (laughs) Because with everybody having access to the internet, you can find any information that you want. So they'll tell me how they feel about these things. And with me being research-based for everything, I simply just try to give them the facts. I don't push or anything or... I mean I'm trying to persuade them but not persuade I'm trying to make them understand because they don't read literature like we do and in this age with the fake news and all of that I mean they're only gonna believe what they want to believe I mean that's just at the end of the day I mean I hate to say this but people look at Dennis as a money grab they really do it's very hard to convince them that you have their best interests at heart And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they're afraid of the dentist, for one thing, and they really only come to you when they're in pain. I mean, you do have some who are come. most are coming to you because they want to take care of their teeth. But at the end of the day, their thought process is just, they want to do what they want to do regardless of what you're telling them. So I don't really try to persuade them so much, especially when it comes to vaccinations. I'm not fighting that battle. I'll tell them straight up, you better talk to your pediatrician about it, you know, (laughs) because that's just a battle you're not going to win. And you're on a time schedule when you're in the office. You don't have time to debate these parents. I mean, I hate to say it, but you just don't. So I just try to lay out the facts and then I leave it up to them to decide what they want to do. And then I let reality take place and they see that I'm telling the truth because that's typically what happens when I'm trying to explain to them the benefits of fluoride or why we recommend nothing gummy or sticky or quit giving your babies on this juice. I just say it once and I leave it there. And then two years later, they're coming to me like, oh, Dr. Caswell, they have all these cap." You know, then it starts to set in. It takes experience for it to set in, unfortunately. <laughs> and I do have a handful of parents who really take everything in and they're like, thank you so much. We really appreciate the information. This is a lot of great information. We're going to take everything you say to heed and we're going to do that. But by far, most of them, they're not listening. <laughs> they just want to come in, use these benefits, get this work done, and be out of there. Um, so, like I said, I just let nature take its course. And most of them, it comes back around, and they're like, "Okay, we're gonna, we'll try that fluoridated toothpaste. We'll, we'll try some of that fluoride rinse." Oh, okay, he's got all these. G-. You know, once they start seeing these X-rays, <laughs> then a lot of times. They come around. It does really take experience because I know a lot of people, you know, when you come out of school, you just feel so proud of all this information that you have and you do want to share it and you do want to help your patients. And I know people who get really frustrated trying to get through to the parents, but you can't, don't get frustrated. That's all I can say. Just give them the information if they want to take it, they will. If they don't, but you can only do so much. It really takes experience for them to listen to you, unfortunately. So I don't really have some great advice about that because I just feel like I'm, I'm kind of getting old. <laughs> and my patience is thin for some of all of this explaining. <laughs> I can't I said, I must be getting old. I remember in my 20s, like this would really irritate me. <laughs> that they're not listening to me. Why don't they get it? But I mean, I understand. I get it. They are the parent. They feel like they know what's best for their kid. And they do. You know, they they want the best for their kid as well. I'm just the dentist that they come to. Um, So I get it. I understand. But at the end of the day, I know I'm telling them the right information. And if they keep coming to me, they will eventually take what you're saying to heed. And they'll be like, okay, that doctor really does know what they're talking about. So you just have to be patient and, and not get irritated. But like I said, I don't really push the information on them. I just, you know, try to let them take it when they're ready. <laughs> yeah, What's yeah. your experience with that, Dr. Addison, being in a residency?
2: Yes, I definitely agree with you. I feel like in the beginning we're learning everything. So I want to take this time because we have a little bit, we have longer appointments in residency. Um, So I want to take the time to really explain. um, But I never get into like a back and forth. I try to make a connection. That's my approach. Like, okay, you see this cavity here. You don't use fluoride at home. You know, maybe we can make some changes maybe. And I try to get them to take steps with me and just explain what I can. But it's not much of a back and forth. Like I'll state the facts, state the literature, um, and then from there, it ultimately it is the parents decision. Um, I think something that has helped me from first year to second year of residency is just looking at the bigger picture that okay, um clearly like this child may have like some like dental like cavities or caries or anything like that. Like, let me think about the bigger picture that they're actually coming to me instead of like causing some tension between the parent and I, and then they're like, forget that Dennis. We don't want to go there anymore. Cause they trying to get me to do blah, blah, blah. So um, I just try to, you know, meet the family where they're at, meet the kid where they're at, meet the parent where they're at with things and then try to build and take steps and make connections. I feel like, um, I see a lot of people kind of speak over, like things go over a patient's head, things go over a parent's head. And it's just like, just kind of, you know, make it simple, make the connection, see, okay. Um, like, just like Dr. Caswell was saying, unfortunately, it does take, you know, the experience, a negative experience to for them to really understand the importance of uh, using things like fluoride or um, we have, like, patients or well, parents that refuse to take x-rays or refuse to do fillings some of them will rather just like oh it's a baby tooth, just pull it out um so you know I still treat everyone the same as far as explaining the importance of it but um I try to just for my own patience and sanity think about the
3: bigger picture you know so and that's a very, very good point about x-rays and, you know, because there's all these misconceptions about radiographs. I mean, it's so many things. And even some things they come in and ask me and I'm like, what? I, I don't know. i never heard it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to have to go Google that myself. I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> and, uh, talking about. Some of
2: the parents concerned with the BPA and sealants now, like that's a new thing. So um, I feel like. My patient uh, demographics here in Los Angeles—they um, are like up on every little thing that comes out. So it also kind of k- keeps you on your toes of staying up to date with what's going on and what those mommy blogs are talking about. Because um, you want to make sure you provide like the best information and the, the accurate, the evidence-based. So, um, and I feel like that's another thing that I try to explain, but. I'll just say it and leave it at that, that some of the stuff like Dr. Caswell was saying, it's not the literature. It's it's real. It's not real literature. It's not tried and true. It hasn't been tested. It hasn't been studied. Um, so I try to bring that aspect into things. And, you know, ultimately it's the parents' decision. So That's, it, that's
3: exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's a struggle. But... Um... You know, I like Dr. S. had a great point. You just have to look at the bigger picture of this family's coming to me. They must trust me somewhat because they're coming here. So let's really just try to focus on any problems that we're having and fixing those problems instead of trying to push this information on them. Because you do have to really speak in layman's terms um, so that they understand. And even that can be difficult sometimes um, trying to break it down enough for them to understand what you are trying to get across to them, especially when you're trying to be evidence-based. Um, and another thing I stress to the parents, because a lot of them will come to me, with, well, I saw this on the internet, this, this, this. The first thing I ask them is, was this from a dental article or a dental journal or medical? And if it's not, then I don't want to hear anything about it because I don't know all this other stuff. I tell them straight up, I do everything evidence and research-based. If it's not medical or dental, I don't even look at it. And, and that kind of sparked something with them, too. They start to realize, like, oh, well, uh, no, I don't, I don't know. I don't think it was a medical journal. You know, they'll say that. And I have to explain to them, people can put anything on the Internet because some of them don't understand that either. I tell them the Internet is not an encyclopedia. It is not true information, most of it. Whatever you want to find that you agree with, you can find it on the Internet, even if it's wrong. So I try to stress that to them. If they have any questions about anything dental, they should ask me or another dental professional so that they can get the accurate information. I try to steer them from the internet as much as I can (laughs) so that they're getting accurate information. And then I try to also make it um, seem more relatable to them. For instance, when they ask me about x-rays, I stress to them the low amount of radiation, first of all, that our machines now use and how you're getting so much more radiation from the sun. You know, just everybody can relate to the sun and the ozone layer and, you know, and, and then a light bulb goes off like, oh, oh, yeah. You know, cause these are the same people who are out wearing sunscreen. So they understand that they're getting this exposure. So that kind of makes it more relatable to them. Um, when they ask me about fluoride and that it's poisonous, I tell them, yes, it is. If you have too much, just like anything else that you may have, if you have too much water, you can possibly die. You know, I break it down like that and they're like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, that is true. <laughs> so if you make it more relatable to things that they can understand and they they kind of lean more your way like, oh, okay, I understand that then. because all of this stuff is poisonous if you have too much or if you're not using it properly. So, you know, same thing with, you know, like Dr. Addison said with the whole BPA and sealants, you know, I, once again, I'm trying to tell them, well, you'd rather pay for the sealant than, than you would for a filling on this child and, you know, trying to break it down with how much exposure they may be getting from BPA and then how much BPA they're getting from that plastic bottle that they have in their hand when they come in the office and they're drinking all this water out of these plastic bottles, you know, you have to break it down like that. Cause then they're like, Oh, there's BPA in my water bottle too. Yeah. If it doesn't say BPA free on there, then yeah. <laughs> and it's probably more than what you're getting out of the ceiling. So you have to make it relatable to things that they understand and they know everybody understands a water bottle, but you're not understanding that there's BPA in that water bottle as well as in this sealant or in this resin that I'm placing on your child's tooth. So you just have to make everything as relatable as you can and say it in layman's terms, because they're just not going to understand if you're trying to break it down with all this knowledge that you have, they, you know, they're just not going to get it. Unfortunately.
0: Wow. Man, I was just going to war. I work.
1: (laughs) But as we all know um, from those types of struggles, we all go
2: through like different types of struggles, life struggles. And so one thing I definitely want to ask for the closing of this year, um, how has COVID impacted you?
3: Um, COVID has been horrible as well as a blessing. I mean, I just, it really has, I'm, I'm conflicted, like, With all of the death and all of the sickness around all of us, it's been terrible. And I have to say, I've never been anxious. I'm not an anxious person, but my anxiety has been like here. And that's just because I'm trying to be healthy for my family and for my kids or what have you. And going into the dental office when you're in everybody's mouth is is very stressful. Um, But at the same time, it's been a blessing Because it has helped me to slow down and reevaluate my business and make better business decisions, which has been the best thing. So some of the negative things, of course, is that we were out of work for two and a half months. Some of these residency programs may have been closed down. I'm not really sure how that worked. But when you're closed for two and a half months and you don't have revenue, that is very, very stressful. And not only because you're thinking about your family, but you're thinking about your staff you know, and their families too, um, which is very important. That's always my first priority to make sure my staff is paid and they can provide for their families before myself. Because if I don't have staff, then I can't make revenue, you know? So that was stressful. Um, but then once we were open and We got all our PPE and everything, and I had to really reevaluate because we had to decrease the number of patients in the building, decrease the number of people in the building, and since we had to do that, then that caused me to have to do layoffs, which I hated to do, Um, but at the end of the day, it worked out because with us seeing less patients in a day, we're not working as hard. Um, we're not spending as much money on overhead. And so we've actually come out of, well, we're not out of it because we're probably going to be shut down again before we know it, but we're actually on the uptick of things because we're starting to make more business savvy decisions because there's just certain things after being in business for so long, you're just not thinking about, you're just going in, plugging away, working. You've been doing the same thing for 15 years and you're just like, let's just keep doing what we're doing. Now, realizing you probably really need to make some changes. You probably shouldn't be doing things the same way you've been doing them. So COVID has really broadened our horizons and made us rethink our whole business plan uh, moving forward. And so it's really worked out for the better. And at the end of the day, all of the things that we've had to change in the office have probably been for the best. Because before we weren't wearing like face shields and, and things like that. And now when I look at my face shield, I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> I should have been wearing this thing in 2001. And when I was in dental school, what is this? You know, you don't realize, I mean, we all know there's splatter. Of course, you've seen the videos. But you really don't realize (laughs) how bad it is until you put that face shield on. And after that patient, you take it off. You're like, what in the world? So we should have been doing these things anyway. You know, I, I feel like we're back in the 80s when they first realized they needed to wear gloves. You know, when you look at those old videos at school and they don't have on gloves and you're like, what in the world? You just can't believe it, right? You just, you're like, what is going on? And then once they got into the swing of wearing gloves, they even realized, like, hey, we should have been wearing gloves. What, what were we thinking? You know, so that's kind of how I'm feeling now. Like, we should have been wearing all these PPE and all these gowns, and we should have had an N95. We don't want the flu anyway, you know, because we have patients who come in the office sick all the time, and you don't know it till they're walking out. So we really did need a reality check. And I feel like this has put a reality check on everything from, I mean, from family to work. I mean, whatever you're doing, I feel like it's really put a reality check on some things that we could all do better. So at the end of the day, um, it has been a blessing in disguise. And I'm just thankful that those of us who are still here and still healthy, that we are still here while at the same time praying for those who've lost others or who've had COVID and had to suffer through those symptoms.
2: I completely agree. You said it so well, Dr. Caswell. As far as, I think, just life in general um, with COVID, I think it has just really highlighted for me the things that are important in life. And I think that a lot of times I like to plan. Like I said before, I'm a planner. Um, I want to, you know, think about this, think about that. And a lot of times that I put my, you know, energy in is not everything isn't as important. Um, So I think uh, COVID definitely allowed me to slow down and really kind of reassess what I value was important to me um also I feel like I took my self-care game up to like the next level like I have just been on the go like just go, go 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 school 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 my entire life and I haven't really like 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 you know little things like okay I upkeep like personal upkeep but like really self-care really um just going in within and um, just who I am as a person and what, I need to refill me and things like that. So, um, I definitely think COVID for that. Um, as far as residency, um, so for the months that we were shut down, um, we pretty much moved everything to zoom. So we were doing a lot of lectures. Um, it did give us the opportunity to get, uh, a lot of guest lectures from other programs, other big names and pediatric dentistry. So, um, that was a good learning experience. Um, Also, with the residency, um, I feel like the program that I'm in, they're very big on minimally invasive dentistry. And I feel like now with COVID and trying to minimize aerosols in the clinic, it has allowed us to really utilize those techniques that we have been learning about, because a lot of um, my other friends who are in residency programs, they don't do as much of minimally invasive things. So, you know, you kind of, think like eh, is this really work or how's like what's the benefit of this and but now that this is all you have to use because you um you know don't want to cr- generate a whole bunch of aerosols you get to see the benefits um and really feel confident and comfortable with um you know using these techniques uh, when they're needed um and then also uh I feel like this is kind of like a mix with, like, personal and residency, Um, just realizing how much we, like, just need each other. Um, I feel like everyone has just been operating in their own lane, in their own little world. And just seeing how like one person getting COVID at work, how that affects everyone. And it's like a ripple effect. And now, you know, we have to move things around. We have, someone has to come in, someone has to do this. It's like, we're all connected. We all need each other. And I feel like that is kind of what the world, I hope also got from COVID is like, we can't do this on our, nothing that we do is on our own. Nothing that we do is by ourselves. Like we are very like codependent with, everyone here so um so yeah but you know I feel like I just said a lot of positive things about COVID but I mean it was a real struggle like <laughs> it, it was a real struggle I feel like I'm always just trying to look at the brighter things in life and COVID showed me I'm like okay like you're strong girl like you are really strong because whew, it was a this past year has definitely been a roller coaster for me for my family um, we've had some really low points, um, but just trying not to let the, you know, low points bring you so low. Um, but I'm still, you know, just trying to focus on the positives from this year and praying for better times. I know it's coming. It's coming. It's gotta be coming. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. And I definitely agree to put a positive spin on things that might look dark, but um, light is coming on the other end. Just keep your faith and just stay positive. That's definitely great advice. Dr. Addison, Dr. Caswell, that was great. And for um, our aspiring pediatric dentists out there, what advice would you give them? I know Miss Jackson on the call.
0: I am. <laughs> I was so excited firing? to record
1: this episode. <laughs> yes, yes, I know. She's one of many, many in the class, in our class, The Blueprint. Um, yeah, it's about like 20 dentist. of
0: us. Yeah. Yes, a large
1: <laughs> So what advice would you give um, aspiring pediatric dentists out there?
2: Um, I feel like for me, just being in the position of residency, so I'm thinking, okay, dental student, like when I was in dental school, um, I feel like a lot of times you just kind of get caught up in wanting to do things for the wrong reasons. And it's like, I don't think any pediatric dentist is in this for the wrong reason. Like you really have to love this because there are days where it is not easy. Um, Something that I didn't think about in dental school was like, the interactions with parents like that is a whole nother skill set that you get with pediatric dentistry parents. And then for me, like I'm young, they're like, okay, how old are you? Or trying to, you know, little girl me and things like that, like, or trying to really make sure that, okay, even though this person looks young, I want to make sure they know because this is my child. And I had to kind of take that, like, it's not personal against me is that this is how much love they have for their kid. And I know whenever I have kids, I'm gonna be the same way. I'm not gonna let anybody just do whatever to my kids. So um, I think that's something to definitely think about if you are like thinking about going into pediatric dentistry, just making sure that, you have done your research you have tried it out um you have been in those kind of settings that it's not exactly how it's going to be because you can't really like this is stuff that you just don't know until you're in it like I feel like I there was stuff about residency I didn't really click like the whole parents thing until I was in and I'm sure once I'm practicing there's things that I'm sure Dr. Caswell has experienced that I haven't yet so but I think just going into it for the right reasons and not like the hype because that's a lot 20 is a lot um i have never heard that before and i and like i said earlier in the show you know when i was in dental school oh that sounds like it was so long ago but when i was in dental school <laughs> i swear it wasn't that long ago y'all but ortho was the hype like everybody wants to do ortho yeah ortho ortho so it was like you get into like you know, there's influence there and you're thinking like, okay, I think I want to do this or, um, just really do your research because I just feel like for any specialty, um, and even seeing, my thing is just research, research, research. Cause like even seeing, um, like my boyfriend is in oral surgery program and I, I don't even know if he did, no one could conceptualize what is like to be an oral surgery resident until you are in that. And I feel the same thing for the things that we deal with, um, just having to work through when everybody around you is losing it, the mom's crying, the kid's crying, the assistant don't have the stuff that you need and you have to keep it all together. It's just so many, um, you know, things that come along with it. And I know that, you know, you can't truly prepare for everything, but prepare yourself. Like, really go in and make sure that you are going for this for the right reasons. Um, Cause one of the things that I have realized that works well with me and my personality, I'm not so much of like a salesperson, or like, I don't think like I could be, I mean, if I had to do it, I guess I'll figure it out, but you don't really like, in my opinion, you really don't sell a lot of things in pediatric dentistry. Like you're doing the things that the kids need. And um Like, just knowing yourself and knowing, you know, who you are. I feel like I'm talking in circles, but know yourself and do your research, I guess, to sum it up.
3: I couldn't agree more. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe 20 people want to do pedo. (laughs) I mean, I'm excited. (laughs) I think that's one, because I'm always asking people, do you want to be a pedodontist? Do you want to do pediatric dentistry? You know, I'm always asking people that. they're like, no. (laughs) So <laughs> to hear 20, I mean, in my class alone, there were only two of us who wanted to do pedo and there ended up being three of us. And I, the the one lady, I, I don't think she realized that till much later because we never knew in dental school she wanted to do P. She didn't do that till later. So there were only two of us, everybody. And I was in a class of 80. They hated it. They didn't want to be anywhere near it. And like Dr. Addison said, everybody wanted to do ortho. And then you have those handful of gunners who want to be oral surgeons because they don't want to graduate from school. They just want to stay in school forever, not realizing how hard it is. Uh, so here in 20 is crazy. Like I said, I'm excited. That's That's great. I'm glad more people are feeling comfortable doing pediatrics, but you do have to be sure that's what you want to do. I mean... I feel like some people want to do it because they think, oh, it's it's so easy. I mean, you're just doing pulps and crowns, you're some resin fillings, some strip crowns, some space maintainers and extractions. You know, you're not doing a whole lot of work on these children. But when I tell you, it is emotionally draining. I mean, as much as I love it, I love it. I wouldn't do anything else. I don't feel like I'm going to work when I go to work. But when I get off, I feel like I've been beat up. <laughs> Because you have to you have to be a cartoon character. That's what I tell my staff. You are a cartoon character when you come in here. You need to be jolly-go-lucky. I mean, it's got to be you have to put on your acting skills because you are acting all day. Because you have to try to convince these kids that everything is going to be okay. And these kids, like Dr. Addison said, somebody's crying over here. The mommy's over here out of control. Somebody's yelling over here. The mama thinks you're hurting their kid over there. And you're just like, what in the world is going on? There's a a baby in this other room crying, just getting their teeth brushed. And then at the end of the day, you got a parent looking at you who's scared to death because they are afraid of the dentist. So you do, you have to have people skills. You have to be able to communicate with not only these kids, the kids are easy. At the end of the day, but you have to be able to communicate with these parents Um, like Dr. Addison said, because they are afraid you're going to hurt their kid. And most of that fear is because they are afraid of the dentist. And so you have to not only coach this kid, but you are coaching this parent at the same time, and so that is really draining when you're coaching two people at the same time to get this one little occlusal done that you could have done in 10 minutes, but you've been coaching for 40. <laughs> so it's like, oh, my goodness, we're never going to get out of here. So you do. You have to be sure that it it's really, really what you want to do. You have to do some real soul-searching and make sure that it's something that you want to do, because not only um, is it emotionally draining, it's physically draining, too. Because some of these kids, like you're wrestling with them, you know, to try to get them to calm down. Um, some of these parents, you're wrestling with them for them to scoop back. I mean, <laughs> it's a lot going on in one appointment, and you don't even realize that it's way beyond dentistry. You know, you are being a psychiatrist, psychologist, what have you, in that same appointment. And it is a lot. And you have to know how to communicate. You have to have a great chairside manner because if you don't, it's a wrap. It's it's not as easy. And not only that, pedo is very, very fast-paced and it's very, um, what's the word I want to use? Uh number-based, meaning you got to see a lot of these kids to make a profit. Um, And so that's a lot of talking, coaching that you have to do. Because I know some GPs, they don't talk. They don't talk to their patient. You come in, the assistant does all the talking, you lay back open, and they just do their thing and they're gone. But that is not how it is with pediatrics. I mean, you're talking to like 50 families in some of these practices or more. And it's a lot, it's draining. It really is, but it's so much fun. It's so much fun. If you if you like fast paced and you love kids and you, you like having high energy, then it's a lot of fun. So I commend the 20 that want to do it, but they definitely need to do a lot of shadowing <laughs> to make sure that that's what they want to do. I completely agree. Something
2: that you said that kind of made me think about uh, when you say there's a lot of talking. Um, the skill that I've really been trying to kind of get down packed in residency is talking and working, like talking the whole time. And I'm trying to do, whatever, I'm trying to do everything, just talking, 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 trying to distract the kid. Like I can't just. It's, it's never a moment of silence. Um, so that's definitely a skill that people take for granted that pediatric dentists have, because trust me, it is not easy. You, like, it's just, just can't run out of things to talk about. Sometimes I'm singing and, you know, it's just, the, the mouth is just going all day, all day. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people uh, may like, oh, I kids are so cute. I like kids. It can't just be about that. Like, it can't just be, oh, I like kids because they're cute, because they're not always going to be cute like and i'm not just talking about like <laughs> physical let me clear that up uh but i'm just saying sometimes they you know or will come in and they've made it up in their mind this is not what i want to do today or you know they just got a whooping in the car or like and they now they in a bad mood and it has nothing to do with you so it's just different things with kids temperament and just how they're feeling that day or what's going on and you know just their like ability to communicate certain things so all of that is taken into you know, play as far as trying to wrap your mind around if this is something that you want to do or not. Um, so yeah, like Dr. Caswell was saying, lots of like shadowing and getting experience um, in those type of settings. Um, and even, I know this wasn't like my path, but um, I know some of my, re- my co-residents, they worked the year like Dr. Caswell did. I feel like that was great from the experience that they brought to residency. So if you feel like you want to do that, like do it, like don't feel like you have to, you know, be on this path. Everyone's path is different. Um, So I know some people did GPRs or AEGDs and I was like, oh no, I really actually like these procedures in the program. So I want to go with this specialty. So understand that everyone's path is different and, you know, really, you know, you owe it to yourself to explore if this is something that you want to do.
3: And just to touch on what Dr. Addison said about temperament, about these kids, that is so true, what she's saying, because you don't know what this child has been through when they go home. Um, A lot of these kids are abused. A lot of these kids are in foster homes. And a lot of their behavior in the dental office has nothing to do with you. Um, It has to do with other things that's going on and fear of other things that have happened to them. And they think the same thing may happen at your office because they don't know you. Um, So, like I said, you have to be a psychiatrist. I mean, you really do because you have to go through that medical history and try to pull out everything to find out what is going on and you just don't have to do that with most other specialties, you know, um, especially when you're dealing with adults. I mean, most of them can come in, hide their emotions, and you just get your job done. But it is not like that with kids. Um, you just don't know what these kids are going through. Um, so you do. You, It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And I really
0: um, appreciate that advice because I know that there are some of my classmates um, that, of course, like we're, we're right at that right at the door, you know, as D3s, like uh, looking at different specialties and things like that, um, being in clinic now. And um, we already uh, took all of the um, intros to the specialties, our D2 year. So now it's like, oh, man, applications open in six months. What do I want to do? You know, and I like the fact that both of you guys have stated and even some things from previous episodes in this season with regards to being on the road to residency, knowing yourself, you know, knowing what we're going to be up against, knowing what um, we're going to be facing in reality uh, when it comes to these things, you know, like just because we may just like what was mentioned. uh, Oh, these kids are so cute. That's why I want to go into it. But it's like there's more to that. You know, there's, there's more to being a um, pediatric dentist than just working with kids. Um, it, It goes far beyond that temper, temperament, behavioral management, All of that, so I do appreciate that advice. Really, Um, and I'm sure our listeners do too. (laughs) Um, But that wraps up the main discussion. Again, thank you so much, Dr. Addison and Dr. Caswell, for being on the show. (laughs) Um, Do you both have any closing remarks, or uh, want to say any social media that um, our followers can find you on?
3: I just want to say, first of all, thank you so much for having this platform. I think it's very important um, to reach out to your classmates and other dental students with this type of information. We just didn't have anything like this, of course, when I was in school. And I think this will really help people find their path on what they want to do. so thank you for that. And thank you for being so flexible with the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, no problem at all. <laughs> I really appreciate that. And um, and i just like to say good luck to all of you. So proud of you for making it through to your third year. I know how challenging it is. Um, if Jasmine or Bradley, if you're thinking about specializing, um Kudos to you, whatever specialty you choose to do. Um, I know all three of you will be successful in whatever you choose to do. Um, I love talking to students. Um, I have students who come into my office and shadow or, you know, some of them will even kind of do a little work in a little bit, like an externship, I guess you want to say, just to, you know, kind of see how it goes um, as far as running a practice and things like that. So I love For people to come to my office, if anybody's ever interested, it's uh, Little Peaches Pediatric Dentistry in Tyrone, Georgia. Um, Social media, uh, it's probably better to email me. (laughs) I mean, I get on there, but that's for fun. I don't like it, mix it with my business. (laughs) Uh, But my email is littlepeachesdental at gmail.com. If any of your classmates, the great 20 who want to go into Peds, have any questions, They can email me at any time. They can even call my office. um, And that number is 770-632-7090. I love talking to students um, because I know we we need that. I needed that when I was in dental school. I was the only African-American in my class. And so it was a little different, uh, (laughs) but I still had a good experience. There were, I think... There were no African-Americans behind me. But in the senior class, I think there were two. And then in the, cl- I mean, ahead of me, there were two in the senior class. And then behind me, there were actually eight. So the eight of, the nine of us, rather, were pretty close uh, because we did SNDa and all those great things. Um, so that camaraderie and that unit is really important, I feel like, for students of color. Um, because we need that. There's not that many of us in the field. So I'm interested to know how many African-American or people of color are in the UCLA residency. So
2: um, I'm the only one in my cohort for the second years, but for the
3: first years, we do have two uh, black girls. Mm Mm-hmm. That's nice. That's good to hear. Yeah. In my residency, there were only three of us, but it was me. And then there was a Colombian lady in my class. Um, And in the years after me, I really don't think they've had any African-American graduates. I don't think I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. But um, there doesn't seem to be that many of us um, that specialize, uh, even though the numbers of minorities just in the dental field in general, have really, really increased, which is great, great to see.
2: Um, I just wanted to, again, just like Dr. Caswell said, thank you all for, this is such an amazing platform to share and to just answer some questions because we don't always have access to mentors and um and to you as well, Dr. Caswell, I really appreciated some of the advice that you shared tonight as well. Um, because like I said, I think that mentorship is just so important. Um, I don't think you ever get to a point where you're just too old to have a mentor. So, um, always be in contact or in touch with somebody, but like, this podcast, this is, you know, kind of bridging some of those missing pieces. So I really appreciate y'all allowing me to be a part of this. Um, I do have a professional social media page on Instagram, that pediatric dentist, but I will say trying to have a separate professional like social media and residency, it's not easy. So if you send me a message, just give me some time to reply. Um, Hopefully I can start to build more of that uh, once residency is over. But um, if you know anyone that, I know there's 20 year class, but if anyone else is listening or um, feel free to reach out. I know a lot of people are on Instagram, but I can give you my email as well. Um, And it's uh, Dr. Dr. Taylor Addison um at gmail.com if you want to send me an email so but thank you again I really enjoy this I feel like I got a lot from it as well so thanks again y'all
0: that is great to hear um and thank you again for both being guests on our show um I know as as someone who aspires to be in your shoes one day you know um I definitely uh Appreciate this this um, episode here with you guys sharing your advice and everything today. Um, let's go ahead and wrap things up and transition into Taylor's takeaways. Uh, and today I wanted to discuss imposter syndrome. So um, imposter syndrome is the crippling feeling of self-doubt. Intellectual inadequacy and anticipated failure that haunts people who attribute their success to luck or help from others rather than their own ability. So A few tips to overcome this feeling. Um, One, break the silence. Uh, Recognize when you feel fraudulent. Um, Knowing that there's a name for these fraudulent feelings and knowing that you are not alone can be tremendously freeing. Um, The second one is develop a new response to failure and making a mistake. Uh, Perfectionism can indicate a healthy drive to excellence but or healthy drive to excel uh, but forgive yourself for, I have to repeat that again forgive yourself you know when um, you do make an inevitable mistake uh, because it happens. Um, instead of beating yourself up for being human, learn the value of a mistake, learn you know and move on. and um, the third tip uh, is to develop a new script. So your script is that automatic mental tape that starts playing in situations that trigger your imposter feelings. Um, for example, when you start a new pre- position or even a new project, uh, instead of thinking, oh, wait till they find out I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, try thinking everyone who starts something new feels uh, off base in the beginning. Um, I may not know all the answers, but I'm smart enough to find them out. So, um, those are three tips there. So, um, I know, uh, I know applying these tips though are easier said than done. Uh, especially, you know, for me, uh, I've, find myself personally falling into this cycle sometimes, uh, because it's hard, uh, and no one is perfect. So, um, I know I'm revisiting these three tips over and over. Um, but I do want to say these three affirmations and listeners, you know, uh, try to repeat after me. I am capable. I, I am, am not capable.
3: Oh, <laughs> all right. okay, Jess, Thank I'm you, <laughs> <to> Taylor. <laughs> all right, okay.
0: All right. I am capable. I am capable. I am not a failure. I am not a failure. I am enough. I am enough. I am
1: enough.
0: <laughs> yes, and that's all I have today for Taylor's takeaways.
1: That was really awesome, Taylor. I think, um, you know, especially starting in the clinics, it's just, it feels so surreal that we're responsible for an actual patient. That first ODS appointment, it's like, oh my God, oh my God, what am I doing? But then you get feedback. And when you get the feedback that, oh, you did a great job today, it's like, wow, okay, I actually know something. So those are just great tips, Taylor. We all appreciate that. And um, I just wanted to transition. Um, Does anyone suffer from seasonal affective disorder? Seasonal affective disorder is described as a mood disorder characterized by depression that occurs at the same time each year. I personally suffer from it myself since it gets dark super early, super, super early um, during the holiday season, the most wonderful time of the year. By 4.30, the sun is going down and I don't feel as if I can be productive at all, especially when you got a test or something to study for. It's just, you don't want to do anything but lay in bed. Right. Um, a tip, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> that, you know, that perio test that we just took like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly um, yes. Um, but a tip one of my physicians gave me was to turn on your lights in your place and invest in something called a light therapy lamp. Um, and that brings the daylight indoors by emitting a bright, full spectrum light um, that safely mimics sunlight without harmful UV rays. Benefits of light ther- uh, a light therapy lamp are that it can reset your sleep and wake cycle to your natural state and enhances mood during seasonal changes, especially during daylight savings. Um, you can purchase a light therapy lamp on Amazon or any of your major retailers, and I think it's it'd be very beneficial. Like all my lights are on, literally, and I decorated for Christmas, so you know I gotta have my Christmas tree lights. Oh, up. nice! <laughs>
0: yep. After. See, it's never too early. The exactly. moment that Halloween ends, that's when the, all the Christmas decorations go. That's up. what I did.
1: <laughs> exactly. Play the Temptations too. So
0: yes, you know, right. <laughs> that whole Christmas uh,
1: <laughs> that CD on repeat.
0: <laughs> yes
1: oh wow wow
2: but hey, i think i'm gonna to have to repeat those affirmations again because hey find a mirror find somebody and you just chant the words i am capable
1: i am not a failure i am enough and always remember to stay flossing and keep flossing if you like what you hear be sure to follow us on instagram at occlusal table for more updates on the show and be sure to give us a shout out Want to ask us questions or give suggestions on topics that you would like to hear? Then email us at the at gmail.com.
0: We love to hear feedback from our listeners, so don't forget to leave a thumbs up, five stars, and a review on whichever platform you're listening on. Well, that's all we have for today, so until next time, this is The The Occlusal Occlusal Table. Table. you